All right. <clears throat> Hope everybody's doing good today. Um, Pastor John is not here. Uh, he is, uh, we're, we, we miss him. He is speaking at, uh, at St. Andrew's Church uh, for Pastor Terry Theus there, and so we miss him. And, uh, and I have the privilege of speaking to you today. One kind of uh, disclaimer, uh, yes, I'm kind of losing my voice a little bit, but the good news is, is that it was way worse Thursday. Um, my family, especially for those who follow my wife's Facebook post with your 150 to 200 likes on every post that she does, right? Um, yeah, uh, our family's been sick, and, uh, you know, poor Davis has the flu, and, and, uh, but he's getting over that, and Matt and I have been feeling better, much better, neither has Kim. Uh, it kind of knocked me out Tuesday, uh, and it knocked out my voice, uh, which was great, because Thursday, I had a class at UGA, and uh, and and it was and, and me talking was terrible. I mean, I was I, I, it, it just was horrible, um, you know. And of course, when people found out I was speaking today, the first question is, "You're going to get up speaking with that voice?" And the my question back to them was, "I don't really have a choice, you know. So as long as you'll bear with me uh, and not laugh at me too bad, uh, I will continue to speak." So. Um, as far as my message, I don't, I don't so much have a particular passage for you to turn to as much as a concept. And let me just give you the kind of the backstory of it. Um, usually, when, whether it's on Wednesday night or whether it's on Sunday morning, when I have the opportunity to come up and speak, um, I usually just kind of ask God for a certain impression about, God, what, what, what would you lay on my heart to speak? You know, and, and sometimes it's stuff that I'm going through personally that he wants to translate into a message. Uh, sometimes it's just an impression. I know last time I spoke, uh, which was the Sunday right before New Year's, God just gave me an impression on, on Romans 8.28, and it kind of go that route. This time, when Pastor John asked me uh, to speak, um, I began to pray, and nothing. I'm like, God, what, what would you have me speak on? Nothing. And I'm like, God, give me an impression, nothing. So I said, okay, maybe you're just going to tell me later. And uh, so then all of a sudden, you know, I, I would go back a day or two, and I would say, God, what would you have me speak on today? Nothing. I mean, just, I mean, nothing. I'm talking about like just this black hole of void on what to speak on, and I had no clue. So I said, cool, God, you're going to tell me later. So this went on for about a week. And, uh, and, 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 and finally, uh, I was, finally one day, I said this word to God. So this phrase to God, I said, God, I'm trying, I'm coming to you asking what I'm supposed to speak on so I can be actually prepared. And God, you're silent. And as soon as I said that word silent, God audibly spoke to me and said, yep, you're right. And that's what I want you to speak on. And I said, oh God. And so as soon as I said that, God gave me this message on when heaven is silent for some of us that are in here, this is going to be a tough message. Not because it's tough material as much as it is, it's right where you're at. And it's right where you're experiencing. Because when heaven's silent, let me tell you what, what that looks like a little bit. Especially if you've been a Christian more than three weeks. There are times that heaven goes silent in your life, and it's not because of sin in your life. It's not because you've done anything wrong. It's not because you aren't seeking after God. It's none of those things, but for whatever reason, you're dealing with unanswered prayers. You're dealing with what seems to be a lack of direction. Maybe there was a time in your life where, yes, it comes easy, and God just comes in and speaks to you, and you feel him. Every time you ask him, God, he's like right there talking to you. But then there are times where we're just like, God, where are you? I can't sense you. I can't see you. Am I, I think I'm going in the right direction. Am I? Do I know what's going on? Do I know where you're at? Do I even know if I'm getting this right? I don't know. God, talk to me, and God doesn't talk. Or maybe, maybe you're holding on to a promise. God, you told me that this was going to happen. You told me. You promised to me that you were going to bring this into my life. Nothing. So today, I want to talk about when heaven is silent. Elmer, uh, Elmer Towns, who is the co-founder of Liberty University, wrote this in one of his dissertations. He said, there are times in the life of every Christian where it seems like God has abandoned us and heaven is shut up to our prayers. During those hours, we sometimes find ourselves desperately pleading to God in prayer, but God appears to turn a deaf ear. Such times are frustrating and difficult to endure. At a time when we recognize our need for God most, we find ourselves asking, God, why don't you say something? What does it mean when people are quiet? Some people get quiet when they are angry. 
For others, their silence may indicate they disagree with something we have said or done. Still others may be silent only because they are taking time to think before responding. In contrast, a fourth group may be quiet because they have been turned off and have tuned out of the discussion. And finally, there are some who are silent because something has amused them and they feel it would be inappropriate to laugh audibly. Just as it is difficult for understand the reason for someone's silence, so it is difficult for understand, to understand God's reasons for his silence. Today, there are some people in here, and yes, it is difficult to understand why God is silent. But at the same time, there are specific stories in the Bible of when people are silent and when God was silent to people, and we're going to look at those today. For those of you who today, for whatever reason, God is silent, I want today to be an encouragement for you. I can't guarantee that God's going to change your circumstance today. I can't guarantee that you're going to walk out today and all of a sudden God's just going to magically appear and say, because Drew preached that, here I am. I, I'm, not, I'm not that good. <laughs> what I do hope today is that you leave with perspective because there are specific reasons why God is silent and why God may be silent in your life. And, and there are specific questions that you have to settle in your heart during this time. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. And God, as painful as it is, God, I thank you for the times that you're silent. God, they're uncomfortable. We don't know what's going on. We don't understand. And we sure wish that you had other ways that you could teach us. But God, there are specific reasons why you're silent at times. And I pray that today, God, you would give your people in this house perspective. That you've got everything under control. That you've got everything on your timetable. And I thank you, God, for what you're going to speak today. Let your words pierce hearts today in your name. Amen. So the first thing, when heaven is silent, it can be to see if you can trust God's word. When heaven is silent, it can be to see if you trust God's word. And when you go through this, here's the question that you've got to settle in your heart. Do I believe, do I truly believe that God will do as he promised. That sounds great in theory. Try living it out. Go to Genesis and ask, and ask Abraham and Sarah. God showed up in their old age. They didn't ask for it. God showed up in their old age and gave them a promise. And that promise was, I'm going to give you a son. And through that son, you're going to have multiple descendants and the earth will be blessed because of that son. And not only that, but there were times that God would take Abraham out before the son was ever born. He would take him out. He would say, Abraham, look at the stars. Count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one million, two million, three million, right? And, th and then he would say, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Great. That's awesome. Could you imagine the first time he got that promise? He probably went to Sarah and said, Sarah, we're going to have a son. Woo! And it didn't happen for a long time. And we see Genesis. It is the story of Abraham believing God for this son, even though he was old, even though Sarah was old. There were times he would get discouraged. There were times he even tried to make it happen on his own because he didn't, he didn't think it was going to happen. There even came a time toward the end where an angel visited Abraham. And said, oh, by the way, hey, this son I've been promised you, it's really going to happen. Sarah hears it and she laughs. And, that, and oh, by the way, their son, because of that, was named Isaac, which means laughter. God kind of played the, the, the joke around on them and said, if you're going to laugh at my promise, guess what? That's what your boy's going to be named. For some of us in here, God has given you some specific promises. He's spoken to you. He's told you about the salvation of a loved one. That your son, daughter, aunt, uncle, mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, he's going to lead them to Christ. That's a promise. He's given you a promise for maybe even a job promotion or a ministry position. Maybe you're single. God's given you a promise that you are going to have a spouse. Or maybe you are married and you desperately want a child. Just like Abraham and Sarah. And in your heart of hearts, you know that God has promised you the birth of a child. But in between that promise, 
in between that and the fulfillment of that promise is this long wait. And God doesn't do cookie cutter wait times where all of a sudden it's, okay, you're going to be three years, you're going to be five years, and there's this pattern. Some of you, this wait may take years. For Abraham, it took a long time. It took many years. For some of you, it may, it, 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 it's going to take time for God. And the, and the thing that you're selling in, in your heart while you are waiting is, is God truly going to do what he said he's going to do? That is tough. Again, it's easy to believe that in theory and say, you know what, God, I believe that you can do everything. I believe it. Try waiting. Try waiting and saying, God, I don't understand why you haven't done this yet. You promised this, God. Why haven't you provided this yet? I thought you said this was true. And you still wait. And while you wait, you wrestle in your heart and you settle the issue. Do I still believe that God can do what, what he said he's going to do? Also, in, also of importance. And yes, don't get me wrong. There are times that God, that God gives you a promise and does it immediately. Sure, there are times of that. I've experienced that in my life. When my, when my son Davis was waking up in the morning and was wanting cereal, and I, we would give him cereal, and you could tell his blood sugar was so low that he would sit there and shake, and about half his Cheerios would fall off a spoon by the time he got to his mouth. And we went to the doctor and said, I think... I think he's got diabetes, but I need you to test him. And we're having to prick his finger for testing to watch, to, 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 to watch my son go through that. But then there came that day where Pastor John got up and said, you know what, I feel like, I feel like God's going to heal somebody if he'll just step in faith. And me and my wife go get my son and bring him down here and pray, and he hasn't struggled with it since. Sure, there are absolutely times. Yes, Sure. There are absolutely times that God does the miraculously instantly. That the promise he gives you comes like that. But there are times that all of a sudden God promise you something, promises you something and he makes you wait. The question that you settle in your heart, that you've got to settle in your heart is this, is do you believe that God will do it? And here's the other key thing. While you're waiting for that promise, are you willing to have joy for today? I have met people, and I've been guilty of this, especially when I was younger in my life. I've met people, and they are holding on to a promise of God, and that promise is good, but they have no joy for today. All their life is consumed on getting that promise. Their life is consumed, and I see this happen a lot of times with young people when it comes to waiting on God's mate. They are consumed with the fact of it's going to happen and we're going to fall in love and it's going to be incredible and it's going to be like this fairy, fairy tale story and I can't wait or whatever, but yet they forget to enjoy today. If you truly believe that God is going to do what he's going to do, enjoy today. Jesus Christ told his disciples in, in the book of Matthew, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will take care of itself. Today has enough troubles of its own. For you to, now, does that mean that you forget about the promise? Absolutely not. For some of you, you're holding on to some incredible promises for your family. But, and, 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 and that's a good thing, but that doesn't mean that you forget about the joy for today. Enjoy, enjoy the journey on the way to where you're going. Because once you can do that, then you know. Can I tell you? And again, because some of you are saying, well, Drew, that's easy for you. Your wife just got on stage and did announcements and talks about how she loves your church. You almost had this great marriage. Yep, we do. But you know what? God didn't bring Kim into my life until I settled the question of God. I believe that you have somebody for me. But if you don't, if I'm single for the rest of my life and I have you, I'm good. And that took me a while to get there. That took me some not-so-great dates. To get there. And guess what? And probably the girls I went on the dates with, they probably thought the same thing about me. Right? But you know what? Once I got to that point and I settled the issue, God, I believe you're good. I believe you will not, you will not withhold any good thing. But you know what? Along the journey, I'm okay if you don't because I got you. 
And so some of you who are holding on to some credible promises, settle the issue in your heart. God is going to do it. He's going to do it in his timing. And along the way, I choose to have joy for today. Let me give you some scriptures. 2 Samuel 7.28 says, O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Proverbs 35 says, For every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Psalms 56.4 says, In God I have praised his word. In God I have put my trust. That's an incredible promise for us. For those of you who are waiting on a promise, settle the issue in your heart. I trust him. Next one, when heaven is silent, it can be to see if you truly trust God's character. When heaven is silent, it can be to see if you truly trust God's character. And the question that you have to settle in your heart is, do I believe that God is good? Do I believe that God is good? If you go to the book of Job, you, you find the story of a man who had to settle that question in his heart. Here was a man who had everything, loved God, had everything, had a, had a profitable business, had a family who loved him, and in one day, lost it all. Lost everything. And on top of that, the thing that probably hurt the worst is he would pray to God, and God said nothing. Heaven is silent, and God, um, so heaven is silent, and Job lost it all in one day. So he, here he is, heaven silent, and he has to settle the issue in his heart. God, do I truly believe that you're good? Do I truly believe that even when bad things happen to me, that you're good? Here's the issue when things go bad in our lives. Here's what's tough for me. The, the times that things have gone bad in my, in my life, it's not so much the bad thing happens if we could be honest with ourselves, it's the fact that God didn't consult with me beforehand to let me know that it was going to happen so I could brace for it. That's the hard part. That, that, that's the part that, made, that at times would make me lay awake at night and say, God, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me this was happening? Why didn't you tell me? Because I thought we did life together. I thought that if I served you, that all of a sudden, you know, it'd be rainbows and butterflies and I never would go through stuff. Or if I did go through something bad, you would tell me. That way I could be ready for it. And now, not only did you not tell me, but on top of that, you're not talking to me now. You're silent. Why? One of the hardest times I had to, go, I had to walk through this is in between Madison and Davis, Davis being born got two beautiful kids. What most people don't know is that in between those two beautiful kids, we lost two. The first one was bad. The first one I didn't see coming, it's bad. The second one, that's the one where I made the deal with God. And I said, God, I would rather, I would rather not ever get pregnant again than I have to go through that. We get pregnant again, and God allows it to happen. And guess what? God didn't give me a heads up. God didn't, make, God didn't see if that was okay on my agenda. Hurt. And there were plenty of nights that my wife and I, we would talk. And, 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 and the gist of our conversation was, do we believe that God's good? Because if we believe that God's good, we have to be okay with the fact that sometimes bad things happen. And it doesn't diminish the bad things that have happened. And for those of you who are here who bad things have happened to you, you're going through something bad right now and you're questioning the goodness of God, first of all, you need to understand that it's okay to grieve and question when bad things happen. But the question that you're settling in your heart, especially if heaven is silent, is do you believe that God is good? Do you truly believe when we go through bad things, that when bad, that, when bad things happen, that God is still good? Because if you can settle that question in your heart, nothing can touch you. You do realize that if, that, if, that if you settle the, it, settle the question in your heart that God is good no matter what, and that someday, even if I don't understand it now, I'll understand it later in his timing, but he's good and I trust him, do you realize that nothing can touch you? That nothing can harm you because you've got that question settled. And some people in here, you're going through some hard times, heaven, heaven's silent, and the big question for you is, is he good? Let me give you some scriptures. Psalms 107.1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. 
His love endures forever. Psalms 39, 19 says, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. Nahum 1, 7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows them who trust in him. God's good. He's not going to allow something, he's not going to allow something on you more than you can handle. Even if bad things happen, we talked on this last time I spoke, Romans 8, 28. He uses all things. For what? For good. At some point, sometime, the thing that you're going through that heaven's silent on, you will get perspective on and you will say, now I get it. You're good. The Bible teaches us that we view this life dimly as, as if looking through a dim, uh, dim lit glass. We don't see it all. We don't know what six months, six years we, we don't know what, what happens on down the road, but what, we, but what we do have to settle in our heart is whether, as my wife said, if we go through mountaintops or valleys, is he good? Yes. But that's hard to do when you're going through bad times. That's a transition that, that God has to take you through. He can't just zap you and make you believe that God's good. He has to take you through times where it goes from your head to your heart and you believe, I still believe you're good. Some of you may have come in and, you're, and spiritually, you're limping. Life hurts. It's not fun. And God's asking you the question, do you still believe I'm good? And you're the only one that can answer that. The next one. When heaven is silent, it can be to see if you trust God's training methods. When heaven is silent, it can be to see if you truly trust God's training methods. And the question that you have to settle in your heart is, do I believe that God will properly equip me? Do I believe that God will properly equip me? King David had to answer this question because before he was king, he was a shepherd boy. Shepherd boy gets anointed king, right? Defeats Goliath, woo, big day. Gets invited to the palace. And I'm sure at that moment he thought, you know what, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in the palace. I'm going to hang out in the palace. I'm going to live the life. I'm going to have grapes fed to me, you know, or whatever, however they do that. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be awesome, right? And then when the king dies, I'm going to become king. That my life is set. Only problem with that is that the current king kind of found out about the plans and got jealous of David and kind of ran him off. And there came a day, there came a day where the king Saul, his son Jonathan proved to King David that, that King Saul was out to kill him. And David realized, I got to go. And he spent years in the wilderness. He was given a promise, a promise that he was going to be king. I'm sure he thought that the way to learn how to be a king is to hang out in the palace, not in the wilderness running for your life. Some of you in here, God has called you to do some incredible things. Incredible things. Some of you, God has called. Some men, and can I tell you, when I wrote this, God impressed upon me. That, again, this can be forever applies it, but God pressed it upon me to talk to the men here. Because there's some men that, this, that you're right here in this situation. Some of you, God's given some incredible promises that you're going to be a good father to your children. Maybe you didn't have that, but you, God is laying on your heart, you're going to be the difference maker. Some of you, God's called into ministry. You are called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are called to go serve others. You are called to plant churches. You are called to do good in your community. Some of you, God has called to do something even as practical as be the first in your family to finish a college degree. Some of you, you just, you just became a Christian. And you're like, how in the world am I going to live this Christian life? And God has called you to live a Christian life. And that's tough considering where you came out of. But know this. Those who God calls, God equips. And his method of, his method of how he equips people is not, like, is not how you and I would chose it. David was out in the wilderness running for his life. He slept on the grass. He had a stone for a pillow. He hung out in caves. And you know what? It trained him to be the greatest king Israel had ever faced. Think about it. Here's some things that he learned just running away from Saul out in the wilderness. He learned how to be resourceful. You've got to take care of your resources if you're going to hang out in the wilderness because there's not somebody feeding you grapes in the, like, like, like there was in the palace. 
He learned the geography of the land. If you're running on the land, you're going to learn the geography. You're going to know where the caves are. You know where the valleys are. That's kind of useful if you're a king who's going to go to war. That's kind of good to know. So that way, when you draw up battle lines, you know where to place your people. He learned how to lead other warriors. Other people joined him. And they weren't just puny people. They were people who who were okay hanging out in the wilderness too. And guess what? He learned how to lead them. It's one thing, especially for those who are called to lead others. It's one thing to lead non-leaders. It's another thing when God has called you to lead leaders. That's a totally separate type of leadership. And King David, he learned in the wilderness how to lead other leaders. Because those guys who hung out with him in the wilderness, they became the captains and the generals and the mighty men of his army. He also learned combat strategy. There are so many things that even though it wasn't part of his plan, that King David learned by being out in the wilderness. And ultimately, what what he came to realize is that God used the circumstances of his life to train him. And again, let's take that to our lives. Some of you, you have been called to do anything, all the things I mentioned or more or whatever, you know what God's laid on your heart to do. But right now you're frustrated because the circumstances of your life are taking you down paths that make no sense to you. And on top of that, when you talk to God about it, he's silent. And in your heart of hearts, you're going, God, I thought that I was supposed to be doing this. This would seem like the proper way to train for, the proper way to train for it. Why am I over here? This makes no sense. And God's silent. You need to understand the fact that God is going to train you. But he's going to do it in his ways and his methods. And there, there are things that God is equipping you for now. If you'll just stop bucking his methods, that, that on a future date you're going, to look, you're going to look back and say, I see it. I had somebody this week give me a compliment. She really didn't give me a compliment. She gave God a compliment. Because she asked me, she said, Drew, she said, I see you and you have, you have the ability to handle circumstances just with a lot of wisdom. You don't panic, you don't, um, you know, you, you just seem to kind of know, you take your time, you take the emotion out of it and all that stuff. Drew, h- how do you do that? Like, is that something that you were born with or was that learned? And without even thinking, I looked at her and I said, it's learned. Because see, for me, when I was 18, 19 years old, I knew that I was, called to do, to, to, I was called to do ministry. I knew it. I was here at Christ Chapel. I was interning. If you would ask me then, I would, and I've told you this story, the next step for me is, woo, I'm going to become the next youth pastor at 21, and people are going to sing my praises about how this incredibly young youth pastor is leading a revival of teenagers. And wow, we've got like 100,000 teenagers in our youth ministry. It's incredible. Woo! That was my plan. That wasn't God's plan. God's plan for me was for someone else to be the youth pastor. It was for me to go and meet my wife and to move up to Atlanta and to work retail management for six years. And it's amazing how some of the lessons I learned. I was a services manager, and I've told you this story, but my job for six years was to get yelled at when things went wrong. My job was to be a problem solver when things get wrong. And my wife could tell you, my first couple years, if I had a bad day, if somebody just lit me up, right, I would come home and I would tell her about how this, co- or this client lit me up and then I lit them up too, right? You know, I mean, people would come up and they'd be unreasonable. They're just yelling and all that stuff. And I'm like, hey, you're not going to talk to me like that. I'm going to yell back at you. Roar! Right? And, uh, and, then, and, then, you know, and then we would kung fu fight. Right? You know, that's kind of the way it worked. Right? And Kim could tell you those stories. It's true. But it's amazing. The more I did it and the more I got yelled at, the more I had to, the more I had to solve problems for people, the more I realized, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe me not being so emotional is a good thing. And I began to learn to take my emotion out of it. And I began to learn to solve their problems. And on top of that, I learned how to lead a team. 
I learned how to raise up people. I learned how to, I learned how to think two steps ahead because if anybody's ever been in retail management for any reason, it is your job to think two steps ahead because if you look up and it's Christmas and two of your employees have left to go do other things and you're short-staffed, that's on you. And so you learn to have this uneasiness because you're always trying to think two steps ahead. Those were not things I was born with. Those were things I learned. Now, let me just tell you, when I was there, do you think that I thought, man, God's training me for a ministry position? No. Absolutely not. I'm telling myself, I wish I had that much faith. No. But then it's amazing how when that training school was done, God said, Drew, you're ready. I didn't realize I was ready. And oh, by the way, if you're sitting in your head and you're thinking, well, God should give me what I want because I'm ready. If you think you're ready, you're not ready. If, if in your heart of hearts you think I'm ready, you're not. Because when it comes time, only God knows. And I never will forget God giving me a, just a token of confirmation that I was ready. When we moved down, the week, the day that we moved down in June, for us to start our new life here and everything else, I, uh, I dropped off the U-Haul. Dropped off the U-Haul, and my mom picked me up, and when I sat down, when I sat down, I, I, I saw this letter, and, 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 it, and it was addressed to me, and it was in my handwriting. And I was like, Mom, what's that? And she goes, I don't know. It came in the mail this week. Said, okay, cool. So I opened it up. When I was a senior in high school, one of our English lit projects was to write a letter to ourselves in the future. And we had to write about our goals and the things that we wanted to accomplish. And we had to address it to ourselves. And somebody was going to deliver it in the future to us so that way we could get it and we could see if we've met our goals. The very day I moved down here, I moved down here so that way I can start full-time youth ministry. This letter, I get this letter that's mailed to me from the future. And wouldn't you know I open it up. And the, and, and the three goals that I wanted to do that I wrote myself is I wanted to get married, be a good father, and I wanted to do youth ministry more than anything else. And in that moment, God was just teaching me, Drew, I trained you. You're ready. Now, you spend about 30 seconds with any of my youth leaders, and they'll tell you I'm not perfect by any means. But situations come up. And I realized the training methods that God put me through. And I'm like, God, thank you for teaching me that lesson. And no, I was not born with it. I'm still learning. For some of you here, God, instead of taking you from point A to point B with a straight line, which seems like the quickest way, he's taking you all around to get to point B. Trust him. God's training methods to equip you to do what he's called you to do are incredible. But to do it, you may have to put up with a little bit of silence. Here's some scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. said, For all scriptures is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God will be equipped for every good work. It's amazing how to be equipped comes rebuking, correcting, righteousness, and teaching. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11 says this, Endure hardship as a, as, as a, a disciple. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone, everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we all have, have had human fathers who discipline us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They discipline us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that, me, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God uses, God unfortunately doesn't zap your life. You can't come down to an altar and God sprinkle, sprinkle you with magic pixie dust and then all of a sudden you're mature and complete. He's not a genie in a bottle. Instead, he used the circumstances of this life, which some of us, including me, I'm guilty of, complain about, to teach us lessons to train us for others. 
count it. If heaven is silent in your life and you don't understand his methods, just know this. You are settling the question in your heart. Does God really know how to properly equip me? The next one. When heaven is silent, it can see if you're willing to trust God's timing. When heaven is silent, it can, it, it can be to see if you're willing to trust God's timing. And the question that is settled in your heart when this happens, does God really know when I'm ready? Does God really know when I'm ready? Here's something that will blow your mind if you're talking about silence, okay? If you turn to the last book, last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Malachi prophesies about the coming of John the Baptist. He doesn't mention him by name. He refers to him as Elijah. But he talks about how this prophet who's going to come before God, who's going to come before Jesus Christ, is going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. That's the sign that this is the prophet. Okay? He prophesies that. Wouldn't it have been nice if John the Baptist came maybe next year? 400 years. And then we open up the Gospel of Luke. And we see where Zacharias is, is, is ministering in the temple. An angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to have a son. His ministry, you're going to call him John the Baptist, and his ministry is to what? Turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Isaiah prophesies about Jesus Christ over and over and over again. Isaiah prophesies about him. Then it, it was 700 years until Jesus Christ shows up on the scene. That's a long time to wait. That's a long time. How many times, how many, would, if you're like me, would you say, man, if it's Jesus Christ and John the Baptist, couldn't he show up in any generation and good things happen? Why, why would you wait hundreds of years for this incredible promise to be fulfilled? Because you have to trust God's timing. Can I just tell you from a practical perspective why when John the Baptist and Jesus Christ came, why it was the perfect timing? First of all, Galatians 4.4 tells us this. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law. Talking about Jesus Christ. Okay? Here's the, here was what was going naturally in the natural world that made it so easy for the gospel of Christ to be presented. First of all, there was great anticipation among the Jews of that time that the Messiah would come. The Roman rule over Israel made the Jews hungry for the Messiah's coming. Because there was actually a Roman rule... The, Assize, uh, the Israelites were hungry for the coming of Christ. Another reason, Rome had unified much of the world under its government, giving a sense of unity to the various lands. Also, because the empire was, was relatively peaceful, travel was possible, allowing the early Christians to spread the gospel. Such freedom of travel would have been impossible in other areas. It's hard to establish churches when, when nations are at war. Number three, while Rome had conquered militarily, Greece had conquered culturally. A common form of the Greek language was the trade language that was spoken throughout the empire, making it possible to communicate the gospel to many different people groups through one common language. Number four, the fact that many false idols had failed to give them victory over the Roman conquerors caused many to abandon the worship of those idols. At the same time, in the more cultured cities, the Greek philosophy and science of the time left others spiritually empty in the same way that the atheism of community of communist governments leaves a spiritual void today. The people were hungry. They'd been given something. It didn't work. Lastly, the Roman army recruited soldiers from among the provinces, including these men to Roman culture and to ideas that had not, not, that had not reached the outlying provinces yet. The earliest introduction of the gospel to Britain was the result of the, was, was the, result of the efforts of Christian soldiers staying there. It was the perfect time for Jesus Christ to come. It was the perfect set of circumstances where John the Baptist and Jesus Christ could come and the gospel spread like wildfire. God prophesied something and waited 400 years for one, waited 700 years for another one. And when it came, it was perfect timing. And we wonder if God can't bring something perfect for us and we get upset when he's silent. For single people, I see this all the time. I see it all the time. You're not willing to wait for God's perfect timing, and so you marry not perfect timing guy. It's not good. 
you know, or, 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 you see, or and I, I, I'll see people talk to me like, man, Drew, this person's great. They're everything I ever wanted. I'm like, cool, is it God's will? But they're everything I ever wanted. Is it God's will? I don't know. Are you ready? Sure. You're not. Because, again, if you, if, you, if you have to say that you're ready, you're not. Could it be that heaven's silent and some of the things that God's promised you, he's waiting because he's got a specific timetable for it? I don't know what it is. All I know is that I waited, and when God brought Kim Winters into my life, I knew from the day I met her, I was going to marry her. And I wasn't one of those people that went ahead and, you know, you meet people and, and, and they, they talk to somebody for five seconds and says, oh, I love them. No, 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 I wasn't one of those people, right? Had some crazy dates or whatever, but that were, that, I mean, you, you just shake your head and go, dear Lord, this is terrible, right? But when I met my, but I, I didn't go around promising people that I love them all the time. In fact, I didn't. When I met my wife from day one, I got in the car as we were leaving, talking to some friends of mine, I said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. And it was at the perfect time for me. Some of you, don't rush God's timetable for something. Don't try to make something happen just because, just because you haven't gotten what you want yet and you haven't gotten what's promised to you and heaven's silent. Don't panic. We call that panicking. Don't do it. The last one, if I could get our musician to come up, please. <clears throat> Sorry, before I read the last one, let me read these uh, scriptures. Galatians 6, 9 teaches us, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Ecclesiastes 8, 6 says, There is a time and a way for everything. 2 Peter 3, 8 says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The last thing, when heaven is silent, it can be to see if you trust God's plan. When heaven is silent, it can be to see if you trust God's plan. And the question that's settled in your heart is this, does God really know what he's doing? And that sounds almost sacrilegious to think it, but God brings us to these times, and I've been there, and I've probably got a couple more times scheduled for me, God, do you even know what you're doing? John the Baptist faced this. He was prophesied about by Malachi. John the Baptist shows up, baptizes Jesus Christ. A dove falls from heaven. All these incredible things happen. I'm sure if you were to ask John the Baptist right then, what's the rest of your life going to look like? And he would probably tell you, it's going to be God's plan for me and Jesus to kind of form the Wonder Twins thing where we, where we combine forces and we go save the world. Woo! That was probably his plan, which is probably why he was incredibly disappointed when he gets locked up in prison while Jesus goes off and does ministry. And history and, and, and scriptures tell us at this time that John the Baptist even got to the point that he questioned God's plan because he sent some of his followers to go ask Jesus, are you really the one? Let me get this straight. You baptize Jesus, a dove descends and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You see that happen and that you're still going to say, are you really Christ? The real question he was asking was this. God, do you know what you're doing? Do you realize that I'm here? And Jesus Christ really didn't answer his question. He just told him, he didn't say, he didn't answer it directly. He didn't say, yes, I am the one. He said, tell John this, that the blind see, the deaf hear. And also tell him this, blessed is the man who is not ashamed of me. Disciples go back and tell, and, and tell that to John. And I don't know how much time it took or whatever, but John lost his life. I'm sure that was not his plan. For some of you in here, you may be going through it now. 
You may be going through it later. I don't know. But you're honestly asking in your heart, God, I don't even know, if, I don't even know what you're doing. It feels like I'm dying on the inside. I didn't draw this up. In my mind of what it meant to be a good Christian, this wasn't on the radar. Are you sure you know? Are you sure I'm doing this? Are you sure you don't want to come in and save the day? Sometimes God does. Sometimes, and I don't mean this physically, sometimes he allows a part of us to die. But he's still got a plan. There's been times in my life, I'm young, I know I'm young. There's been times in my life where I thought a part of me had died. I remember sitting in college. I remember talking to God. Because I was, I was hurting. I was dealing with depression and anxiety. I didn't know why. I've hurt. And the thing that hurt the most was when I talked to God about it, He didn't talk back. And I felt abandoned, lonely. I didn't feel like He seed me, or saw me, excuse me. I didn't feel like He cared. But over time, I settled it in my heart that whether He changed my circumstances or not, He had a plan for my life. And I'm standing here today not with all the answers, but to say that His plan's good. He always works it out. Some of you today, this is a very hard message to hear because you're going through some stuff and heaven's silent. And that's the hardest part of all. Didn't matter what you were going through stuff. It's the fact that it just seems like God's abandoning you. He's not there when you talk to Him. He's not there when you cry out to Him. Some of you last night, and I just feel a quickening of the Holy Spirit. Some of you last night, you went to bed crying. I don't know who it is. You went to bed crying because in your heart you're going, God, I don't understand this. Why won't you talk to me? I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know how everything's going to play out. But we can trust the scriptures and the patterns of the Bible to say that when heaven is silent, that's when he's got the biggest thing prepared. How many know? I don't know if you were like this. This is how my mom treated me. But Christmas time, the gift that I really wanted for Christmas she never wrapped. It was never under the tree. And I remember I would go and I would, I would open up all these presents and I would say, thanks for the sweater. And I would say, you know, thanks Aunt Mary for the underwear. I had Aunt Mary gave me underwear, right? Thanks for the book or the movie. And, I'm, and, and I would open up all the presents and I would realize, no, okay, I guess I'm not getting that this year. And I would settle in my heart. And inevitably, that afternoon, that night or whatever, my mom would come back and say, Drew, I'm so sorry. I forgot this gift. I forgot to wrap it. And then she would come out and give me that present that I wanted. And she would laugh and crack up and blah. You know, right? <laughs> you know, thanks, mom. Right? For some of you, you've opened up the presents and it's not there yet. And the thing that you really are holding on to, when it's the right time, God's going to come out. He's going to say, I told you I was going to give this to you. I told you it was yours. Will you bow your heads for me, please? Here's what I don't want. I don't want to sit there and tell you, I don't want to have an altar call and you come down thinking that it's going to change your circumstances because it may not. What I do want to ask, I do, I do feel like it would be inappropriate for there to be a response time to ask this question for you. Are you willing to trust God? For whatever it is He's asking you to trust, are you willing to do it? Is there anyone in here? 
And this is more just to increase your faith than it is for anything else. Is there anyone in here, heaven is silent, to see if you can trust God's word. And the question that you're willing to settle, do you believe that he would do what he promised? If that is you, if that's your heaven is silent moment, would you raise your hand, slip your hand up? Wow. If you're at the moment where heaven is silent and you're waiting to see if you can truly trust God's character, if you're settling in your heart that you believe that he's good, if that's where you're at, would you raise your hand? Wow. When heaven is silent, it can be to see if you truly trust God's training methods. You are settling in your heart, God, I don't understand how, but you're going to equip me for what you've called me to do, if that is you. When heaven is silent, see if you can trust God's timing. There is something that you're waiting on. God's timing's perfect. If you were set on the question of your heart, does God really know when I'm ready? If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Absolutely. The last one. When heaven is silent, it can be to see if you can trust God's plan. And you're set on the question in your heart, do you truly believe that God knows what he's doing? Let me leave you with these final scriptures. Psalms 31, 14 through 15 says this, As for me, I will trust in you, O Lord, and say my time is in your hands. Psalms 118.8 says, It is better to trust and take refuge in the Lord. Job 13.15 says this, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In closing, what I'm going to offer is this, give you a chance to talk to God and to answer those questions in your heart. If you were those who, who lifted your hand, we're going to lead us, Leanne's going to lead us through a song and I'm going to open up these altars for you. And I'm asking you to come and pray. If somebody would like to pray with somebody, keep a guy with a guy, girl with a girl, don't overpower their prayer, just stand in belief with them because there are some powerful things that we're selling in our hearts today. Father God, I pray you would do it. As we come to these altars, Father, I pray you would seal in our hearts that your promises are true. If that's you, I invite you to come and talk to God.
closing, I understand there's some ministry still happening. I don't want to interrupt that. Would you mind staying and let's do one more song of worship just in unity together. Let's praise God for his goodness and his sovereignty. Liam, would you lead us in one more? to me how something that I someone that I cannot see feel or touch can bring out emotion in me I'm amazed at my God I'm tender toward my God today and um, I would hope that you would leave encouraged to know that God's got you Jesus Christ knows you by name knows your circumstance and he is intimately acquainted with you. Nothing that you're going through has caught him by surprise. So Father God, we thank you today. I'm humbled preaching this message today. There have been times, God, that I've failed. There have been times I've kicked and screamed. And I've thrown temper tantrums because I didn't understand. But Father God, I thank you, God, that you still held on to me. I pray, God, that we would leave today. Not maybe not with changed circumstances, but with changed perspective. And that we would praise you through the storm. And I thank you ahead of time not because of the promise to get us out of the storm, but I thank you for you and that we get you in the storm. Let us leave today encouraged, God. Let us drive safe home, God, and bring us back next week that we can hear from you. In your name, amen. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.